That's right, General Quarters, all man your battle stations. This is not a drill. Today is Monday, August the 10th, and we're 85 days away from the election. Man, uh, I don't know what to say, but this is Battleground. Alfonso Aguilar, our guest, former Bush administration official, great guy and great friend of the show. Welcome. Uh, the president, wow. Uh, what a week he had last week. I think he put the Democrats on the ropes. They did not want to negotiate to help the American people. Um, he took executive action to take care of the things that really matter to everyone. Uh, evictions, payroll taxes, unemployment, student loans. Alfonso, the mic and the floor is yours. Tell us about it. Ivan, thank you for, for having me. As always, it's awesome to be with you. And again, co commend you for your show, which I know a lot of people are following and listening. Look, uh, you know, it's been weeks of talking and talking. And the White House, Mark Meadows and uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin bending backwards to try to build consensus and get, a, get an agreement with uh, Democrats. But it's obvious that Nancy Pelosi, because she's the one that leads, I think Schumer's on the side, it's Pelosi thinking politically how she can use this to advance a radical agenda and impact the November elections. And she's thinking, you know, I'm not gonna budge. And uh, from all the reports that I get, she wasn't willing to negotiate. You know, just two ane one anecdote, very interesting. On two occasions, the White House proposed reaching an agreement where they would extend the unemployment benefit, the full $600 for a short period of time while they continue negotiating. And they said, no, we want everything now or nothing. So what does that mean? They don't care. They don't care about people hurting. They need those employment benefit. Uh, and they would have gotten for a month or two, the additional $600 per week, but they said no. So that shows how cynical they are. So it gets to a point where the president says, and you know how the president is, he's, he is a master negotiator. And they may say no, but this president has gotten more bipartisan agreements, ironically, than the previous president, Mr. Love, you know, Obama, he's so, he's so cool, he's so great, you know, he gets along with everyone. What did he do legislatively on a bipartisan manner? Nothing. This president got us criminal justice reform. He got the first care sack. So he's worked with them. But the way to do it is to be tough. And I think with this executive orders, not only these are concrete measures that will help working Americans, first of all, at a time of need. You know, I'm not a fan of executive orders, but what we're facing now is something that, uh, you know, we haven't seen in decades. And you need aggressive action. So the president did it. Uh, it's concrete action that will benefit, and you mentioned the, the four aspects that this memoranda and executive order deals with, deal with, but also put pressure, pressure on Democrats to actually negotiate in good faith. And, you know, it, this was on Friday. On Sunday, yesterday, I don't know if you saw the shows, they were already saying, well, I think we're willing to talk. And so, you know, he is the master negotiator, and I think at the end we're going to get a legislative deal, which is what we want but it's going to be based on consensus, not Nancy Pelosi imposing her radical agenda of just putting a bunch of stuff that has, have nothing to do with working Americans and is to advance the, her, her radical agenda. That, that, that's a great point. And I'm, I'm taking notes here because every time I talk to you, I have to take notes. You are one of those uh, all-knowing guys plugged in 
you get it and, uh, and, and you can articulate it like very few people can. And I wanted to ask you a question on one of the, one of the points that you talked about, which was this all or nothing um, yeah. position that Nancy Pelosi had that the speaker and, and, and Schumer was obviously uh, as her lapdog, just repeating everything that she was saying. They were trying to put a lot of other stuff in there, right? Um, they were trying to put in money for mail-in ballots, uh, bailing out states and cities that, you know, just things that had nothing to do with the American people that, that need help right now. And we talked a little bit about off-camera. Uh, all the information is out there. You know, minorities are especially hit. Hispanics, uh, African-Americans are really, really impacted you know, with the situation, including uh, numbers that we've seen up to 40 million um, people facing evictions in the state of Florida, 51%, you know, facing evictions uh, in the state of Maryland, where me and you live, uh, 42%. Those are huge and, and, and cataclysmic numbers, you know, cataclysmic. Indeed. So, so obviously, if you care about working Americans, people facing eviction, you do something not play politics, but instead they're looking at, you know, mandating uh, mailing uh, ballots because they're trying to create chaos. Let's face it. Uh, it sounds great. You know, there's COVID. Let's have people vote by mail. You know, we have to be very careful not to improvise, you know, less than three months before the election. We don't want to come up and start implementing measures that may backfire and create chaos in November. But this is how cultural Marxists work by creating chaos, by creating confrontation. If we don't have a result on November, that's what they want. You know, Biden already has hired six, well, hired, recruited 600 lawyers, electoral lawyers. You know, this reminds me of, you know, 2000 Florida. And, uh, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember vividly uh, what happened there. We don't want to end up in that situation, but that's what they're doing with the help of the media trying to say, oh, there's no evidence that, you know, there's fraud through mailing ballots. Well, we never had, you know, massive mailing voting. So anyway, to put this in this bill, it's clearly pushing a political agenda rather than thinking of let's care about the people who are hurting. And then the, the, the money for the states, again, who are they responding to? The radical teacher unions. You know, everyone, including the uh, American um, uh, uh, Pediatrics Association, uh, have uh, said that kids have to go back to school uh, because of health reasons. This is... Uh, first, it's, it's highly unlikely that they'll catch COVID. And if they catch it, you know, they'll be asymptomatic or, or have mild symptoms. Uh, it would be very uh, unhealthy for them to remain home. Uh, but the teachers unions are saying that, you know, if they don't have all the protection that they need, and it would cost thousands of dollars per children, you know, they may even, you know, not, you know, just not teach not go to the schools, leave the, leave the children, you know, without, uh, you know, boycott. Uh, this is what they said, boycott uh, the school year. And this is the people that the Democrats are responding to. So that's why they want to put in money there. You see, it's all a political agenda. So now the teacher unions who are not thinking of the students, they're thinking of themselves. So Trump says, no, 
I'm going to do it through executive order. And you, and you mentioned the issue more of, of, of the evictions, which is you know, tragic. So the president has done what he can do. It's not ideal, but you know what? It is concrete. They may say, and they're following talking points. If you heard Schumer and Pelosi yesterday, it was incredible. They were saying, they were using the exact same wording. And I'll give it to Democrats. They, they stick to their talking points, their th two or three talking points, which then are repeated by, by the liberal media. But we moratorium, oh, that's not a real moratorium. Look, they haven't done anything. He's using the, his power, his executive power. And it's not that he's inventing, he's not legislating because he's using, you, you're legislating, he would be legislating if he didn't have any basis on law. He actually has a legal basis to do this, to, and this is an executive order, to task his heads of agency to take all measures possible to impede evictions. And, and I think this will help. Is it perfect? No. But, but it will help. While the other stock, this guy is actually doing something. And so, so we'll see. I, I think hopefully that will help. It certainly creates an environment where hopefully banks who hold mortgages or, or renters will be more, more benevolent. And, and we've seen it uh, that, you know, through the CURSE Act, I think banks have allowed for uh, forbearance, uh, deferral payments. So I think this creates... Uh, you know, an environment where it, it, we're, it, evictions are going to be less likely. We still need legislation, but for that, we need the Democrats, and the Democrats care more about pushing their political agenda. And you know what? And and, and that's uh, and that's exactly the point, right? Is you know he he put all the other stuff to the side and focused on what really matters to the American people that need right. the help. I mean, the payroll tax exemption or holiday, as they're calling it is huge right because it puts money in it keeps money in, in in the person's pocket where they need it um you you were talking about um all this money and it was driven by the teachers union isn't this what this whole argument on school choice is really about i mean isn't this a good moment to really have that conversation about school choice hey if you don't want to teach that's fine right but why should the parents not get the, those dollars, you know, so they can use it and send their son or daughter to a faith-based school or, or some other school or, or pay for a tutor or something. Because as you know, most families have, you know, both parents are working, both parents are working. So now that school is out, uh, yeah, the, the economy shut down, but as people start going back to work, what happens to those children? They can't be left alone at home, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and that's, that's the second point. Uh, you know, it, it's not only good for the children to go to school, but also if the, if the children cannot go to school, parents can go to work, and that affects the economy as well. And I suspect the Democrats know that, and they want the economy to recover quickly, uh, so they have a better chance of winning the election in November. Uh, you're absolutely right about school choice. This is when government, when your uh, education board your county is pushing an extreme radical agenda on your children, uh, or the teachers just don't want to teach because they don't care about your, their, the, your children, they just care about their job and their, all their benefits, then you should have the option of 
choosing a private school. You know, a lot of uh, Hispanic families, for example, choose parochial schools. We saw it this uh, week, actually, in Maryland. You know, we both live outside of D.C. in Maryland. And, uh, you know, socialist Montgomery County uh, ordered their public schools to continue with virtual learning, which has been accepted by everyone, I think. It doesn't work, you know. You already have problems with children in classroom, imagine virtually. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand it, but all the experts are saying it doesn't work. But they said, we mandate virtual learning. The parochial schools and the religious schools were already moving forward with the semester, following the science and knowing what's good for the children. So Montgomery County says, no, you can't do that. You're gonna have to teach virtually as well. Well, they were overruled by the Republican governor, Larry Hogan, not a fan of his, but at least he still has some Republican conservative sense and, and told Montgomery County, not going to happen. You're going to let religious schools do that. So it creates this uh, environment where, you know, families have that option of, you know, you know families who have children in religious schools. Uh, know that they'll be able to send their kids to school, that they'll be able to go to work, they'll be in a safe environment. And uh, so, yeah, school choice is very important. But this is the problem. This is really the problem. Again, what we're seeing here in this debate is Democrats responding to a political radical agenda rather than, than doing what is right. Hey, Alfonso, do you think, um, I mean, Congress is in recess, right, technically? Um, Will they come back? Will they reach an agreement, or are they just going to let this thing just run out and, no, I, and then play the, and play and try and play the uh, blame game on each other? We're going to have to see in the next few days uh, because I'm optimistic from the latest comments from the Democrats. Even uh, Secretary Mnuchin said that you know he was willing to talk, but uh, you know after this, uh, Democrats can only start moving to to the center, right? And, uh, and I think you're right that by focusing on these four issues, it also puts Democrats in a very difficult position. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're basically establishing the agenda. You're saying these are the issues that we have to focus on. Anything else is just purely political and ideological. Uh, so, so I hope that they will and uh, that we'll move uh, to the center and get good legislation passed. It's possible. It's possible. President Trump has done it before. And uh, look, you have to play hardball and, uh, you know, uh, in, in a polarized Washington. So, so I think it's possible. I, 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 you know, from what I heard yesterday uh, on the Sunday shows, yeah. to me, I, I think it's, it's possible that, that uh, they'll continue talking and then we'll get a deal. Yeah, I hope they get a deal. Um, I was on a, um, I was on a, um, on a call last night uh, that, that has a lot of former executives, money guys, big fortune, 500 executives, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of them, I would say probably the majority of them, you know, lean to the right, you know, um, you, you, you would find a couple liberals in there, but um, it was, it was curious to hear, you know, their their feedback their input from a pure business standpoint right and most of them were saying you know what we are going through really really hard times as a country uh, we artificially shut down the greatest economy in the world 
Um, and people are hurting and people are hurting, you know, very, very hard. And I think it's not, our, it's not a matter of how much money, it's just a matter of money. And we need to do whatever the hell it is, no matter what it costs, but we need to take care of our own people before we go do anything else. Look, and despite all the obstacles that Democrats have created to a strong recovery of, of the economy, uh, the, the Trump economy is strong. The policies in place are strong. And that's why if you look today, we, we see the market immediately. I mean, this, this past weeks have been dramatic with everything that's going on. Yeah. The market should be collapsing. Well, no. And people say, oh, that's because you only care about Wall Street, which is what Democrats always say, thinking that average voters are stupid. Half of Americans have money in 401ks, so they care about Wall Street. If, well, if, if those indexes are up, hardworking Americans' pensions are up. So, so this is good news for, for hardworking Americans. Um, we saw the job numbers on Friday, yeah. and they were good. They were good. Could have they been better? Well, yeah, but we had a, uh, you know, uh, numbers, COVID numbers going up in, in July and, and some states had to close certain businesses that had an impact, but still unemployment went down by almost 1%. I mean, at this uh, pace, we're going to be in a single digit uh, in a month, which is dramatic. It is dramatic what's happening. Look at the Latino unemployment rate. Two months ago, for what was it? For May, it went up to 17.5%. It's now down to 12.9%. That's dramatic. That's dramatic. Hispanics working. Two thirds of the jobs that were created last month were hospitality. A lot of Hispanics working in that area. So they know if we're thinking of who can ensure that this economy recovers quickly and that we go back to the employment numbers. Uh, uh, the historic unemployment lows before COVID is with Donald Trump policies. And I think people understand that. So I, I think that, uh, um, you know, that's what we need uh, uh, four more years of President Trump. I mean, if, if just look at what Joe Biden is proposing of increasing taxes massively to the rich. And of course, you know, they say they're rich, but when you look at who they consider rich is, is a lot of the middle class for them is rich. So you're going to be taxed. You're going to, they're already telling you they're going to highly regulate our economy. Why did we have the Trump miracle? Partly is because of this, this uh, deregulation of the energy sector where we became an energy exporter, not importer. Uh, that's dramatic. Allowing for the dramatic exploration, oil exploration in Anwar which is, you know, President Bush tried to do it. He wasn't able to do it. That has been a boom for the economy. He's already saying no fracking, no fracking. Look, we're all for the environment. We're all for the environment. But we can't believe, like Joe Biden is saying, that in 15 years, we're going to have a cleaner energy economy. No fossil fuel in 15 years. You know what that means? Destroying livelihoods, families. So it's impossible. So this is what people have to keep in mind. But that's why they want to talk about COVID. The only thing they want to talk about is COVID, uh, as you say. But you know, even in that, I think Americans are smarter than what they hear Democrats, because Democrats are basically saying, 
look at the case number. Trump downplayed this. It's his fault. And that is so simplistic and absurd that people can see beyond that. First of all, I mean, I remember January when President was talking about COVID in the State of the Union. You can go to the State of the Union. He's talking about creating the task force. He imposed a travel bans in January, which Joe Biden calls xenophobic. So, which, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Fauci said that he participated in those decisions and that he supports both decisions that saved thousands of lives. Joe Biden, instead of following science, would have followed political correct ideology. Well, Nancy Pelosi inviting everybody to Chinatown, right? So. <laughs> Exactly. So they were talking about impeachment. Let's be honest. They were not talking. So the fact that there's all oh, the president didn't pay attention. He was paying attention. He was hoping that it would go away. Fauci was hoping that it would go away. We didn't know where. So, but now, you know, he put in two months. And this to me is a historic, which has been downplayed by the media, but I think Americans realize it, has put in place in two months, an incredible mobilization in two months, in two months putting in place uh, uh, an incredible system to treat and manage this disease by increasing testing. We're testing uh, more than any other country by increasing the production of ventilators, uh, professional material. You know, when you think about hospital capacity, yes, a lot of, a lot of hospitals have, have been, have received a lot of patients. But nobody has died because they didn't have access to medical services. Uh, so if you look at the, the death rate based on cases, not on population, because the left, and we saw the Axis interview with, uh, with Jonathan Swan, where they want to focus on the number, the death rate based on population. Well, you have to look at that because it shows that we've been being hit, that there's a lot of, uh, uh, that, that, that the, the, in the U.S., the, the, the disease spreads quickly. But you also have to look at the death rate based on cases. And when you look, look at that, you see that the death rate in the U.S. based on cases is very low. It shows that we have the capacity to deal with the cases, that we have treatments and therapies so that people don't develop, uh, don't have to end up in the hospital or die. So this is very important because they say, oh, we're, you know, in terms of deaths, we're, uh, you know, the number one or two country. Well, if you look at population, but we're a huge country with a huge population with an open uh, society and economy. If you look, however, at, at the number of cases, you will see that the majority of European countries have higher death rates. So that means that if you get sick in the United States, you have less chances of dying than in Europe, but they don't want to talk about that. Yes, you have a better chance of getting the disease here, but you have a better chance of surviving or, or getting uh, or, or not developing uh, uh, serious symptoms in the US than in Europe. So you have to put it in perspective. There's no doubt that we've been hit hard by this, but the response from the federal government has been incredible and, and we can manage this. And I think people can, can understand this and, and, and you know, think of all the information out there uh, 
you know, when we had the H1N1 uh, virus under Obama, you know, people forget, and I'm doing more research about that because, you know, there were a lot of deaths, but we didn't get any information. At some point, Obama ordered testing to be stopped. Ah, but nobody's talking about that, right? So, you know, it is and what we had. And he didn't do anything until we had, I don't know how many people had died, right? Right, right. So, you know, what I've seen here is just think of, of the mobilization of federal government, state government, uh, um, you know, private industry. This has been dramatic. And we didn't have, need help from outside. Many of these European countries, Italy, Spain, we had to provide help to them. So I think that, that we have the best healthcare system and the government has done a great job in... Uh, in, in mobilizing resources to deal with this. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that's a positive story that we have to tell. Yes, uh, we've been hit hard. A lot of people have died. It's, it's, it's a pandemic, but I think we've done what we needed to do. And it's sad that Democrats are politicizing this because if we were to politicize it, and then we have to look at where the deaths happened, we will see that 60% of deaths actually happened from March to May, uh, something like that. And the majority of them happen in New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. So is the Democrats' fault? Not, Trump is not playing that game, but they are. So I think Americans know, and uh, again, I, I think this is a person based on results, and uh, uh, you know, we're moving in the right direction. It is a tough situation, but there is hope. I see light at the end of the tunnel, and as the president said, you know, they keep saying, well, is this going to end? He says, yes, this is going to end. And, and they hate that answer. They hate that answer. They hate that, that he's positive. Well, you know what? At some point, this is going to end. That's and things right. are going to be better. And it's, and it's bizarre how they praise Governor Cuomo, who's had, you know, I think it's the highest mortality rate in the country. And they yes. criticize Governor DeSantis, who, you know, frankly did a great job and is doing a great job right um now they're trying to go after him for opening back the beaches and whatnot but i think when you look at the numbers like you were saying you're looking at a 99.7 percent survival rate this is like the flu or lower right so unless you have underlying health conditions unless you're you know elder and have other problems everybody else is going to get it like like the sniffles or a cold i know uh i know a few people that have had it here and you know they they had uh they they pretty much said they had a cold uh the only difference was that they lost their sense of taste and smell that was about it um i know other people in other countries that have had it and the same thing three to five days you know in a week they were fine um all these people were healthy people right um, you know, uh, we know somebody from, uh, from, from, you know, the media as well, from Hispanic media that had it right. Her and her husband and also same thing about five days, I think. So it can be deadly, uh, for, for elderly, yeah. uh, Americans and for people with preconditions. And, uh, and frankly, uh, we have high numbers in New York because President Cuomo did not defend or protect governor, 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 president. 
<laughs> Governor Cuomo. Oh, Governor Cuomo. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, we know he wants he wants to run in twenty twenty four. So that's why the media is saying that he's done such a great job. But you know, these numbers are going to come back to haunt him. <clears throat> Not only is the number one state in terms of, of deaths, but also the majority of them are vast majority elderly and a good chunk of them of elderly in nursing centers. And as we know, he gave an order where elderly uh, 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 people who were released from hospitals still with COVID uh, would have to be admitted back to uh, nursing centers. Oh. So, but people have given him a pass. But, but again, I think in, in this era of social media, it's so impossible to deny the facts. That, you know, that's what, what you know, CNN and MSNBC thing that if they repeat things over and over again, people are going to believe it. The, you know, certainly, the, the you know that can happen, but still, we have social media and people are seeing the reality. The same thing with you know the violence that we're seeing across the United States, specifically in Portland. You know, they keep saying, "Oh, that's ridiculous." It's but you know, you see. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's going to be something that we, we, we're going to have to take on, on, on the next podcast because we have to talk about the violence, the looting, the rioting, the destruction. It is absolutely crazy. Alfonso, thank you for being on the show. Parting words, do the members of Congress and the White House reach an agreement this week, yes or no? Ooh, I'd say this week, no, but I, I think the, the dance continues and we get a, a, a deal soon. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Alfonso Aguilar. Thank you, Alfonso, for being on the show. And don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with more Battleground. We want to give a shout out to uh, some of our friends, Opportunity Matters Funds. They uh, support federal candidates who promote the opportunity agenda to enact positive legislative initiatives and help prove that the American dream is still alive and well. When you get a chance, please visit them at opportunitymattersfund.org, opportunitymattersfund.org. Also, Hispanic Leadership Council, we are fighting to move the Hispanic vote over to the Republican side. Make sure you visit hlc.gop, hlc.gop. Those are some of our friends that support our show. We hope you will uh, take the time, visit their page, and support them as well. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.